Hello, I'm guest host Adrian Batra. Thank you for joining us for the latest edition of Full Comment. The Public Order Emergency Commission continues to hear testimony on Parliament Hill as the hearings explore the Liberal government's invocation of the Emergency Act during the Chuckers protest. Many of the witnesses have already heard from are from law enforcement, and the picture that is being painted so far is one of inconsistency, lack of communication, and no clear plan. So was this a failure in policing, political gamesmanship, or both? Perhaps it is more complicated than that. We're going to explore this with Professor Christian Lepret from Queen's University, who's professor in the Leadership Department at Political Science and Economics, also at Royal Military College and an Eisenhower Fellow at the NATO Defense College in Rome. Professor Lepret, it's great to have you with us on full comment. I know that you are observing the commission as it is unfolding, but let's go back. Let's go back to all those months ago when we saw on our TV screens the convoying descending upon Ottawa. They knew it was coming. There were opportunities to plan. There were opportunities to to get all law enforcement agencies to communicate with one another and how to manage it. But everything that we've heard thus far from the commission, from the testimony, from many law enforcement agencies, from all levels of government was they didn't know who was in charge. They didn't know who was doing what. How have you perceived this thus far? I mean, there's a lot of voices at the commission. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is that the government uh, opted to give the commission a very wide uh, scope rather than focusing just strictly on uh, the invocation of the Emergencies Measures Act per se. Uh, and so I guess that has the benefits that we're getting a much broader context. It also means that we're focusing less narrowly on the actual matter um, at stake, which is whether um, uh, on, on the provisions of the Emergencies Act, the need to invoke it, uh, and what uh, will hopefully come out of this, which is much uh, better clarification on under what conditions uh, the act warrants uh, being invoked. Clearly, we see here a lot of finger pointing and we see very little of anybody actually willing to take responsibility. And I think ultimately the responsibility doesn't uh, lie with the people in uniform. Yes, probably operational mistakes were made. People should have coordinated better. Um, what was missing uh, throughout much of the convoy protest was the political leadership um, and the clear direction as to what measures police uh, need to be taking and making sure that politicians provide the resources to be able to um, uh, have, have an effective enforcement of a national protest. And the fact that uh, we have a protest uh, of a few thousand ensconced um, uh, people in Ottawa uh, in the national capital of a G7 country and it takes us three weeks to get a handle on that protest, I think is an indication of just how uh, homeopathic um, and uh, dysfunctional our national security uh, system is. Um, and I think what we see here is that, yes, Canadian police are very good at incident response. They're not good at sustainment. So when you have these longer campaigns that require significant experience, significant resources, uh, we simply don't have the uh, effective capacity to respond and the citizens of Ottawa and in many ways of the country uh, suffered as a result. As the commission unfolds and we hear more and more testimony, the very law enforcement agencies themselves that it was suggested they were asking for these powers that are given in the Emergencies Act, they themselves have said, no, we didn't need it. We've recently heard from the commissioner of the RCMP uh, telling the Trudeau government 
that they hadn't exhausted all the powers that the Ontario Act, when that was implemented, that that had given them. So it's going to make it very, you know, if the commission is going to answer the question is, was the Liberal government justified in the invocation of the Act? The very law enforcement agencies that they claim needed the Act to, to remove the convoy, to remove the protesters, is painting a very different picture. And and Professor Lepret, we even we even see from from the information and the documents being provided, you know, the daily CSIS reports, the daily intelligence reports, the consistent theme is that there were no concerns, it was not violent, that there that that allegation that they were carrying guns was not true, and that there is currently no known time of certain demonstrations, but the majority of the events have been peaceful. So at the beginning, we heard from the former, now former Ottawa police chief, slowly, that, you know, he had just sort of given up. He'd thrown his hands up in the air. And then I think everything negative that happened trickled from thereafter. How do you perceive it? Yeah, so the OPS was never postured to police a national protest. I mean, a force of 1,200 people with 900 officers basically operational um, the, that have to police the city and at the same time police uh, a well-organized, well-funded, uh, ensconced national protest. Um, th- there was no path for success for the Ottawa Police Service um, on this. Um, and that would have required, I think, much earlier coordination. We now have a different model in Ontario that's been adopted in, since the convoy, uh, the hub model in terms of public order units. So, so there's some learning here. I think the, the broader question is that, I, you know, who decided that the Emergencies Act was needed? And I mean, we've seen the federal government before um, blame civil servants for decisions that ultimately turns out the government itself had made and decided on. And I think this is what we're seeing here, that contrary to what we had heard, that this is sort of the advice that was provided, uh, that ultimately these were measures that were perhaps not needed. And I think at the beginning of the protest, uh, the federal government made a calculated decision that it didn't want to be seen as heavy-handed. It didn't want to be seen as replicating the reputation uh, of the current prime minister's father, um, in the October crisis, and then it realized that the protest was becoming a political liability. Uh, and so at that point, the federal government decided it wanted to show, um, I think it wanted to show leadership. That would serve is, is how I would interpret it. Uh, and invoking the Emer- Emergencies Act was a clear signal uh, to show that leadership. Now, it, it did send a message to police, because one of the things that police look for is, um, even though they have operational independence, they'll always look for political signals on these types of uh, political protests and events. And the signals that came initially were really not very existent. There was no clear direction, I think, on uh, should we clear out the protester? Should we just let the protest go on? So if there's no top cover, police are unlikely to take heavy-handed measures. And so with the Emergencies Act, that was also a signal to police that uh, there is now top cover for police to take more aggressive enforcement action um, against the protest. Um, the protest was a considerable inconvenience for many citizens in Ottawa. Um, there was it, it was illegal and there was some lawlessness, but as you point out, there was no criminality and it doesn't appear that based on the open access, open source information that we have, that there was an immediate risk of a January 6th type insurrection. And so somebody essentially made a political call. And I think the fact that 
you know, if the government felt confidence in the call that it made, I think it would have called the Emergencies Act inquiry rather expeditiously after the operation had ended. The fact that the government waited basically until the last conceivable day to even co- to, to, to call the inquiry and let the inquiry run, uh, I think suggests to me that they're trying to put as much distance between the, the event themselves um, and the ultimate verdict uh, that is rendered here uh, by the... Um, um, uh, on on um, on this particular on this particular point, because it'll ultimately be, I think, a. I mean, anytime you invoke legislation, it's a political decision. A political decision was made. We live in a democracy. The public ultimately needs to judge that uh, decision. And um, what we're hearing here before uh, before the inquiry uh, will hopefully provide the information for the public to make an informed judgment uh, as to whether an astute political decision was made or not. I want to tie this in to these big, you know, I, I think it's an important point that the civilian side, meaning the, the, the politicians, aren't able to direct the police. But there very much is an understanding that there is going to be political direction. Um, there is that separation. We all understand that in terms of how, how they operate and the operational aspect to this. One of the things that is so obvious to all Canadians was they saw that the protesters, you know, they, they put put the hot tubs up and the bouncy castles. And I mean, that was all, you know, a lot of show there, a lot of theater. But when the border was starting to be blocked and we couldn't have goods and services traveling across, you know, that's when there were some, some serious, serious concern. But it was all being cleared up prior to the invocation of the act. The act was implemented on February 14th. Just prior to that, again, the RCMP commissioner said, hey, we haven't used all of our resources, our powers yet. Hang on a moment. So I agree with you. I think that Canadians are going to have to judge and decide ultimately whether the Liberal government was justified in their actions. And I still reiterate that thus far it doesn't seem to be that way from the mouths of the law enforcement agencies themselves that were on the ground. But this is, this is not necessarily going to be the first time this happens in our country. There are going to be issues that arise again. And you've written extensively about the makeup of our law enforcement in this country, and, and it's in, in one of your books, Public Securities and Federal Polities, you noted that our federal policing, for example, is so unique in the world, and the manner by which we fund our law enforcement agencies is so unique in the world. How does that play into sort of how what we saw unfold during the trucker convoy? Yeah, I think that's an important question, because this is really, I think, what the the problem is the public always wants to kind of examine the past, right? Who knew what, where, when, who decided what? We're really, um, whether it's it's the it's it's the inquiry here or it's the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia, this really needs to be about the future. What do we need to change? How do we make the system more sustainable? And what we saw in Ottawa is really a much broader symptom of, I think, the broader failure to be postured in Canada effectively for the 21st century. So here's one example. So I think we live in an era of mass protest. As you rightly point out, we're going to have to contend with other types of mass protest. They might not hopefully be violent or insurrectionist, 
but they might be quite ensconced and they might be quite determined. And so if we're having trouble dealing with a few thousand protesters in downtown Ottawa over the course of three weeks, um, that suggests to me that uh, the system is simply not postured uh, well for the 21st century. And I think that ultimately comes down to issues of the way police in Canada are led. It comes down to, and I think, you know, we've, we have enough evidence of leadership challenges um, across this country. I think there's currently a dozen forces in Ontario alone that are looking for police chiefs. So it suggests that the talent that we're looking for for the complexity of policing in the 21st century is not being generated, uh, uh, at least not in the quantity and the quality that most boards um, themselves are looking for. Toronto took two years to, uh, to search for a new chief. Uh, we know how long it took to appoint the current commissioner to the RCMP. So there's leadership issues. Uh, there's broader ways that police uh, are being managed that, uh, again, I think are not fit for purpose. And then there's the institutional culture issues. Um, and ironically, the people who are often the most unhappy with their own police service are the very uniformed members that are serving in those services. And so if the public is unhappy, if the members who are serving are unhappy, if often the senior command is not a particularly functional or cohesive group, and if politicians aren't able to get uh, the quality or the quantity of the sort of response that um, I think we might expect in a rule of law uh, a constitutional democracy, then we need to ask ourselves much broader questions about why is it that we're, for instance, having uh, simple communication issues and intelligence issues uh, in the chain of command uh, among police services that are responding to this protest. It's a function of these broader symptoms. And I hope that um, the, you know, we, we see this in Alberta that is debating perhaps adopting a provincial police force and having much broader conversations about police reform. And I think this is where the critics of policing in the country have it right. That I think, I, I'm, I'm not sure that the types of criticisms they have are always um, directed at the right parts of the problem within the system, but I think they have it right that the system is not ultimately serving the expectations and needs that we have. And if you want to sum that up, the Ontario Police Services Act and those of all the other provinces, the basic standard for policing is that police officers need to provide adequate and effective policing. What does that mean? Does policing needs meet the values, needs, and expectations of the local community. And I think we can look at what happened during the Ottawa convoy, and I think the current inquiry really needs to ask itself the question, did or did not the policing and the response that we saw in Ottawa um, meet the needs, values, and expectations of both citizens of Ottawa and citizens of Canada? And if it did not, what are the underlying structural issues and symptoms that we need to have, that we need to debate, and we may need to reform? I think that that's such a critical part to the conversation because uh, in part, there may be some answer to that as, as you pose it, because we have seen the recruitment and the retention in various uh, levels of law enforcement has diminished significantly. The police officers at the local level, for example, are burnt out. They don't feel because of a certain political climate, particularly in the last few years, um, you saw defund police movements. You saw such adversary actions towards police officers, law enforcement agencies at any at any level. I think that those are very real on the ground issues that every agency is facing. 
I don't think that we want to necessarily unpack all of that, but, but I think it's part of what you're talking about, that structural reality that is happening on the ground with each agency. And so there, there comes to a point when very serious issues are facing our country or our community. There doesn't seem to be the appreciation or understanding of each of them communicating with each other, each of them taking a leadership role. And it, it ends up in, in scenarios like this where before a commission and every law enforcement agency is saying, I don't know what the other guy was doing. So I think there's two fundamental issues at stake here. One is that in a democracy, we need a functional police force because the application of the rule of law, that is to say the premise of predictability and the equal application of the rule of law ultimately hinges on the ability to enforce the rules that our elected representatives uh, federally and provincially and locally uh, enact. And so we need um, both a functionally effective organization and we need an organization that has the legitimacy to be able to enforce those rules. And in democracies, we've chosen that that legitimacy hinges ultimately on what is known as low policing. So Jean-Paul Baudet, the uh, late famous Canadian criminologist, distinguishes between high policing, that's what we see in places such as Russia, where policing is in the interest of elites, versus low policing, which is what community policing about, which is, of course, where the acronym COPS ultimately, uh, ultimately comes from. So democracy hinges on making sure that we resolve uh, the credibility issues that uh, are arising, and of which the issues that are being discussed with regards to the Ottawa convoy uh, are just one more example in a growing list of issues in Canada. My other challenge here is, with the way you frame that question, is the application of the rule of law in Canada. Because I'm increasingly concerned about the inequitable application of the rule of law, in particular when it comes to protests. Because you can see that in some cases, when you get protests, um, there are politicians that are quite sympathetic with the protesters uh, and then quite critical of police when police try to enforce the rule of law. In other cases, when police try to enforce the rule of law, they get pushback from politicians about uh, the measures or so forth that they are facing. And so I think when policing is seen to be instrumentalized for political, particular ideological views, rather than for the um, best ability to apply the rule of law fairly and effectively, then it is going to call our entire, not just rule of law system into disrepute, it is going to call the forces that are meant to apply that rule of law into disrepute. And we just saw a week ago, for instance, the apparent interference by the commissioner with regards to in the mass casualty, so what the mass casualty commission revealed um, about gun legislation and trying to get a particular narrative out uh, when it came to the uh, to the Portapique uh, mass shooting. And so these sort of incidents, I think, we see more frequently. And that, to me, is deeply troubling because I think that's ultimately what we mean by operational independence. Uh, yes, there needs to be opportunity to critique police actions, police strategy. We saw that police make mistakes, often major mistakes, after G7 and G20. But it's usually because the political authorities weren't sufficiently involved in the front end in providing appropriate direction. And as much as we're talking about the failures of policing in Ottawa, really, this was a failure of governance. Look, the Ottawa Police Services Board, that is ultimately the democratic mechanism that is supposed to govern the police, 
melts down during the most serious national security crisis that this country has had in decades. So the mechanism that is supposed to ask the hard question, that is supposed to provide strategic direction, is unavailable because it is too dysfunctional to actually be able to act. Why is it in part unable to act? Because provincial policies, like for instance, the, the major events policy provincially is hopelessly out of date. So that meant the Ottawa policy is out of date. So that meant so if the doctrine that you would need to respond isn't there. But I think we have a real challenge when it comes to the governance and accountability mechanisms in this country that are supposed to provide the sort of strategic direction that we need to safeguard the equitable uh, and fair application of the rule of law through our law enforcement mechanisms. I think that's such an important point um, because the, the tone that is set from the political side of the aisle is really instructive on how a protest or a, you know, a, a, a big issue is, is managed. And I know that a lot of critics about this are, are talk about, well, look at how those that go and protest um, on our rail lines uh, they're from a certain a particular community that may the government of the day may feel sympathetic to that that community. So nothing, no action is taken when the obvious actions that should be taken is removal, arrests, etc. So that that inconsistency, I think Canadians see that, and um, it, it it bears itself out when we see things like the trucker convoy and those protests. That if you are perceived as sympathetic to one side of a political argument, shall we say, you're going to be treated differently. And and I put that in the context of sort of what we expect. So so you brought up the mass casualty commission of the incidents that happened in in Nova Scotia. There are reports, there's studies, there's observations. Overlay that with where we are right now. Do you see any recommendations, any anything practical, realistic coming out of the, that type of commission moving into this one where actual tangible change can happen particularly on the law enforcement piece? Well, I mean, it's it's unfortunate for the, the Mass Casualty Commission. I mean, the, the full transcript of the commissioner's conversation uh, with the team in Nova Scotia um, and Superintendent uh, Campbell out there uh, comes out after the commission has effectively finished its work. Uh, so part of my question is, do we actually have full disclosure of all the documents and everything that the Emergencies Act inquiry actually needs in order to be able to, um, uh, to arrive at a sensible judgment? Because ultimately, this is about domain awareness. You, kind of, you can only make a judgment based on the information available. Um, and um, there's, I think, some concern that there are obviously political interests when you have a unique event such as the Emergency Act uh, being invoked of shaping uh, of shaping the narrative. Um, so what is it that we can learn? I mean, certainly I think one of the things we can learn is we need a legislative posture that's fit for tw the 21st century. The um, financial measures that the government did enact through the Emergencies Act that would allow banks to freeze accounts of questionable um, of, of, of with, with questionable sort of transactions. Um, other advanced democracies um, already have these as part of routine response of their 
um, uh, money laundering, terrorist financing, and proceeds of crime uh, legislation. Um, and so it's, I think, just one example of the extent to which um, governments in this country are simply not prepared to innovate in terms of legislation. That means law enforcement and intelligence often don't have adequate tools available to them to deal with the challenges that they have, which means that we need to resort to, or politicians feel they need to resort in this case to extraordinary measures. I mean, we see protests of tens of thousands of people in May Day, for instance, in France or in Germany, uh, France labor protests, some of which sometimes can get, um, uh, can get somewhat violent, uh, where police are well prepared to respond to protests much larger than we saw in Ottawa. So just imagine if we actually had a much larger protest uh, in this country, uh, would we actually be, pre be prepared to engage and, uh, and to deal with that? And I think the, the challenge when we're not adequately postured, led, managed within the organizations themselves, and we don't have an adequate fit-for-purpose legislative framework, means that it requires more political uh, direction or it affords also more latitude for political direction, which then often leaves police sort of holding the bag in terms of having to um, do their best with inadequate tools and with too much latitude for politicians either to provide directions or to leave police hanging by mm -hmm. not providing any strategic direction. And I think so what hopefully will come out of the inquiry is that we need a much clearer framework um, for the invocation of when are extraordinary uh, quasi-extra-constitutional measures um, uh, justified um, and to be able to, uh, I think, set ourselves up for a path of sustainability that ultimately we should be asking questions. We never want to find ourselves in this situation. Where are all the shortcomings that, that we identified here to make sure that we're not just preparing for the last battle, but we're actually preparing adequately for the mass protests of the 21st century. Uh, and we can be postured um, adequately for that. And I mean, everything from um, the legislative piece to RCMP reform needs to be part of that conversation. One of the justifications for having the RCMP, this national police force of 17,000 members, had always been it is surge capacity in the case in case of sort of extraordinary events. Well, where was that surge capacity when we needed it in Ottawa? Where was it when municipal forces across the province said we can't spare any people to send to Ottawa because the protesters are showing up in our own towns? Where was it when the OPP, when it effectively became clear that we needed a national incident command center? Um, and that uh, both uh, local and arguably provincial police were out of their depth. Where were the water cannons that are 15-minute drive from Parliament Hill? Where were the dozens of horses that the Mounties keep um, within, again, a 15-minute drive of Parliament Hill? Where was our national police force when we had national protest? And as this commission draws on, Professor Laprat, Canadians should have those answers. We should have some sort of conclusion to what sounds what our expectation is you know it's the one of the fundamental roles of government is to keep citizens safe uh that's that's their job and so much uh has happened in the course of this uh last year the course of the pandemic that has really shifted our uh, shall we say priorities on things and such a significant dearth of leadership at the federal level really 
came to the fore during this entire convoy. And I'm just wondering if you can conclude with uh, just a final thought on as this wraps up, as the commission finishes its job, do you feel that there is sufficient information uh, now that w and, and after all these commissions, after all these reports, after all the studies, that's not just going to sit on a shelf and real change can happen, can be implemented. Adrian, you said that one of the jobs of government is to keep people safe. I would say that is job one of government. Because if people aren't safe and if the country is not secure, then we are not going to be able to enjoy prosperity and we are certainly not going to be able to enjoy democracy, the rule of law, the values that we all cherish. And so we all need to ask ourselves very hard questions when citizens feel unsafe, that government is ultimately failing in, the fund, in the providing the most fundamental good that citizens anywhere need to be able to expect of their state. And if you ask immigrants to this country, what is the primary reason that you came to Canada and what do you really appreciate about Canada? They will tell you it is the fact that I feel safe and secure in this country. And ultimately, I think we failed to make people feel safe and secure when it came to the Ottawa convoy. That doesn't mean that there were the convoy was 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 uh, that there were uh, legal elements, but clearly, you know, legal forms of protest. But clearly, there was a lot of illegality, um, and uh, it, it stuns me to this day that nobody had the wherewithal that when four hundred trucks are rolling into town to tell them, well, you can't actually pull off the highway and drive downtown. That's going to be a bad idea. Like we made rookie mistakes in this uh, when it when it came to uh, when it came to the protest, and it appears that we also made rookie mistakes in the way that we respond responded to the protest. Where was at the beginning of that protest the joint unified picture of Mayor Jim Watson, the Premier Doug Ford, and the Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau standing shoulder to shoulder? with their senior law enforcement officers behind them and giving a clear message to the protesters that lawlessness will not be tolerated. And I think that's sort of, you know, we're, we're trying to push this off on police and we're trying to say, well, the police sort of failed and sort of uh, their coordination. Yes, but ultimately, I think we need to ask much harder, much broader questions um, about, uh, um, about the, the entire system in which the protest was able to unfold, uh, the inability to contain it, uh, and the inability to provide a sustained response. No surprise that we couldn't provide a sustained response because there was, by police's own admission, no plan B, right? We went in on day one, plan didn't work. We went in on day two, plan didn't work. By day three, we needed a capacity to have a new plan, to have an integrated intelligence function, to have an operational capacity to actually work out this plan, to surge resources. That entire capacity did not exist within the OPS, and it took us uh, the better part of a couple of weeks to actually build it up. And I think that for Canadians should be a real concern about how is it that politicians have so under-resourced our law enforcement and intelligence capabilities that we're simply not able to respond in an expeditious fashion to the most egregious challenge to the rule of law in this country uh, in multiple decades. And to that effect, I think the questions here need to be broader than simply about the invocation of the Emergencies Act. It needs to be how come we were so hopelessly unprepared, and that's ultimately not so much on police, 
that is ultimately on the politicians that are that make the rules that provide the resources and that need to give the appropriate strategic direction and it helps give us a blueprint for how canadians can hold the politicians accountable professor lepret i really want to thank you for joining me on full comment today and making sense of this weighty issue it's been a real pleasure thanks for the opportunity to talk about this Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm guest host Adrian Batra. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can also listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us by giving us a rating or leaving a review. And of course, telling your friends about us.